Good morning. I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is the Daily 202 for Friday, July 19th. In today's news, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will face off again in the next debate. Unsealed search warrants prove President Trump didn't tell the truth about his hush money payments to a porn star. And the send her back chants at Trump's rallies spotlight a nation riven by racial discord. But first, the big idea. There were bugs and the showers were cold. Air conditioning was not available, but the heat was turned on inexplicably. If you didn't have family in the United States to send money for food, you would go hungry. Those are just some of the conditions that Manuel Duran described after he was released from 15 months in U.S. immigration detention centers. As a journalist in Memphis, Duran had been reporting on immigration enforcement officials and sordid conditions for more than a decade by the time they took him into custody last year. Now, he says he's experienced the neglect himself. Speaking in Spanish about his ordeal, he said he always wanted to report the news. He never imagined becoming the story. As a journalist, he said he's only seeking to serve his community and to tell the truth. Duran is a native of El Salvador, and he has been working for the Spanish-language news outlet Memphis Noticias. The 43-year-old reports that migrants didn't get enough food at any of the four facilities where he was held. They had to buy rations with money that was sent by their families, and if they didn't have the relatives to send the money, the migrants wouldn't eat. The holding facilities were infested with cockroaches and spiders. At the Etowah County Detention Center in Alabama, he said he had to bathe with cold water from hoses for two months. The air conditioner was being repaired for most of the spring, and Duran said that the heat was turned on at one point for no reason. They couldn't figure out why, and it made it difficult for the migrants to sleep. Duran was just released from detention on bond while the Board of Immigration Appeals considers whether to grant him asylum because journalists in his home country face dangerous conditions. Duran migrated to the U.S. in 2006 when his television reporting back home subjected him to death threats. But then he missed an immigration court hearing the next year because he says he wasn't told about it. That caused a judge to issue a removal order for him. Then in April 2018, Duran was reporting on a demonstration against local police helping ICE when the Memphis cops arrested him while they were trying to clear people from the street. But instead of releasing Duran from jail, he was turned over to ICE and then brought on an eight-hour bus ride to the LaSalle Detention Center in Jenna, Louisiana. His lawyers say he was given no access to a bathroom during that ride and that his wrists, ankles, and waist were in shackles. ICE didn't respond to our request for information on the Duran case or even a general response to his criticism of the detention centers. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will face off again in the next two-night debate at the end of July, while the ideologically more aligned Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren will appear together on the other night. CNN, which is hosting the debate, held a televised live drawing last night to determine the lineups. The Democratic field is the most diverse ever, yet all five minority candidates ended up by the random draw on the same night. 
who is matched with whom can shift the trajectory of the race, as Harris showed in the first debate when she went after Biden on the issue of busing. The aftershocks of that moment were felt for days, culminating in Biden giving a major speech defending his civil rights record. A rematch gives Harris another shot to handicap Biden, but it also gives Biden an opportunity for a do-over after his fumbling performance. For the socialist Democrat Sanders and the capitalist Warren, who were vying for many of the same far-left voters, their matchup will allow them the chance to differentiate themselves. But Sanders has been denied the chance that he wanted to go after Biden, whom he competes with for the populist and working class vote. In the past week, Sanders has targeted Biden for not embracing Medicare for all, providing a preview of how hard he hoped to go after the former vice president if given the opportunity. Joining Sanders and Warren on the first night, July 30th, will be Pete Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, Steve Bullock, Tim Ryan, John Hickenlooper, John Delaney, and Marianne Williamson. The next night, July 31st, the one with Biden and Harris, will be Julian Castro, Andrew Yang, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, Bill de Blasio, Michael Bennett, Tulsi Gabbard, and Jay Inslee. Number two, newly unsealed court documents show that Trump communicated repeatedly with his lawyer, Michael Cohen, amid the election year scramble to keep quiet allegations that Trump previously had an affair with an adult film actress while his wife, Melania, was pregnant. The documents were released at the direction of a federal judge in New York who disclosed a day before that an investigation into suspected campaign finance violations had ended. Trump and those close to him long said they were unaware that Cohen had bought the woman's silence. But phone calls and text messages documented by the FBI show that they were heavily and closely involved. Prosecutors submitted a search warrant from 2018 with newly unredacted sections that described the FBI's probe into payments that Cohen arranged to two different women who claimed they had affairs with Trump, the porn star Stormy Daniels and a former Playboy nude model, Karen McDougal. When Hope Hicks, the former White House communications director, testified last month before the House Judiciary Committee, she said she was, quote, never present at a time when Cohen and Trump discussed Daniels. The Judiciary Committee is now investigating whether Hicks lied to Congress based on these new records. The committee's chairman, Jerry Nadler, Democrat from New York, wrote to Hicks late last night, demanding that she appear again to clarify the discrepancies between her prior testimony and what's in the unsealed documents. A lawyer for Hicks declines to comment. Four days before the search warrants were executed, Trump told reporters aboard Air Force One that he was totally unaware of the payments. During congressional testimony in February, Cohen, who's now serving a multi-year prison sentence, released copies of checks that he received to reimburse him for the payment, including a check signed by Trump himself while he was serving as president. What was once a credibility gap has become nothing less than a credibility chasm. Number three, the newest rallying cry for Trump supporters, send her back, is reverberating across a divided nation fraught with racial tension. We deployed reporters to 10 states to collect reactions from voters across the ideological spectrum to the president's racist tweets from last weekend and then the chance from an almost entirely white crowd at his rally in North Carolina on Wednesday night. What our correspondents sent back when weaved together paints a portrait of an America riven by racial discord, with Trump spraying kerosene on the fire. Mary Thomas, who works at a restaurant near Wayne State University in Detroit, says the country's racial climate is the worst she's seen in her 60 years. That's a period that includes Detroit's 1967 race riots when the National Guard was deployed. 
Thomas, who is black, blames Trump, who she says is clearly a racist. Dan Wendell, a Boston contractor, had a different view. He said, quote, I love it when he was asked about Trump's attacks on Ilhan Omar and three other congresswomen. He was standing outside a building that he was working on in Southie, a gentrifying working class neighborhood in Boston. A 10-minute drive away in the racially mixed neighborhood of Dorchester, Trish Mullen said she's never felt as unsafe as she does with Trump as president. She said she's embarrassed to be an American. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Tammy Harrison said Trump's comments are being exaggerated and taken out of context by the media. The 60-year-old Republican said she agrees with the president. In her view, this is about ideology, not race. In Colorado, Diana Higuera said the chants that emanated from the North Carolina rally reminded her of the fraught political situation where she came from, in Venezuela. She grew up there and fled the country to come to the United States to earn a master's degree in 2005. The 47-year-old said she no longer feels safe on the streets of Denver in the Trump era, even though she's naturalized, because she says she still has an accent and she speaks Spanish to her kids. Robert Hall, a 33-year-old who designs language curriculum for schools on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Montana, said he was unsurprised by the chants from the white crowd. We know it's racism, Hall said. What he said he's baffled about is that he, he doesn't understand why racist people don't just look us in the eye and say, yes, I'm racist. He said, quote, liberate yourselves. Then we can have an honest conversation. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, July 19th. Thanks for listening. I know I keep mentioning it, and I will again next week, but the Post would really love to know what you like or don't like about this podcast. So if you could take our survey at WashingtonPost.com slash 202 survey, WashingtonPost.com slash 202 survey, it would really help us out. And you'll be entered into a sweepstakes for $500 Amazon gift cards. Thanks again. Stay cool this weekend. It's going to be a scorcher pretty much no matter where you are in this country of ours. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.